The word of God for our meditation and our growth this morning comes from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can follow along in your bulletins. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to tell you the story of Billy Bob Harrell, Jr. He grew up in Houston and spent most of his life there before he decided to become a preacher. And after a short stint in the church, Billy Bob enlisted in the Marines, where he met his wife, Barbara Jean Abernathy, and they married in 1971. Shortly thereafter, he was discharged from the Corps, and he and his wife had three children together move ahead a little bit to the early 1990s, and rough times have come upon the Harrell family. Billy Bob can't hold on to a job for much longer than a month or two, and when he does have a job, it's very menial pay and hard work. There's financial burden on his house. And for once, he found a job at Home Depot, and it actually sticks And he's stocking shelves there every day. But that financial burden is still there. So his wife, Barbara, joins the public workforce as well. Still not enough. Fast forward again to June of 1997. And Billy Bob Harrell has a lottery ticket in his hand. Little does he know how much this one little piece of paper will change his life because... That lottery ticket won the Texas State Lottery that day to the tune of $31 million. I couldn't really fathom that amount of money, so I broke it down. And how, how the payment was made to him was $1.24 million every year for 25 years. Billy Bob's life was about to change. He could provide for his family, but he could also be generous to other people. And so the first thing that he did with that first check 
He took 10% and gave it to his church. Not only that, he donated to other churches and other ministries where his friends and family were members and parts of those ministries. He bought his three children who were now in their 20s, he bought them all their own homes. He donated the money for 480 turkey dinners to be provided for poor and needy people in Houston. People started to catch on to Billy Bob's generosity. Those public acts of generosity are great, but soon the letters, the phone calls, the public encounters start coming in and flooding in and life becomes stressful, even more so. People calling and asking Billy Bob to, to pay for their daughter's dying surgery and who knows if that daughter even existed or not. People asking the family to refund them for the money they spent on lottery tickets for that same drawing. Life was stressful. And Billy Bob, instead of becoming generous, he became more and more short-tempered and moody. And he suddenly had an affection for different things that he hadn't had before. He was generous toward himself and he bought fine art. He bought antique clothing or antique cars. He bought nice clothing. And he was he was infatuated with those things and he was also infatuated with another woman. Now divorced. And looking for more and more ways to spend his money, Billy Bob's temper got shorter and shorter. His mood more sporadic throughout each and every day. His pushing his family away. His sum of money, his one check that year did not prove to be enough. And so he took his remaining 24 checks and cashed them in for a large upfront sum. And it still wasn't enough. And so, on May 22, 1999, just 20 months after hitting the jackpot and winning the lottery, Billy Bob Harrell ended his struggle and put a Winchester Model 37 shotgun shell right in his chest. His family found him later that day and with him were three handwritten unsigned notes, one most likely intended for his ex-wife, which read, I didn't want any of this. I just wanted you. I tell you that story because it's real. Billy Bob Harrell was a real man with real issues in his life And he tried to solve those real issues with real money. And it's it's a sad trap that we see so many fall into today. In America and in the world at large, and it doesn't matter whether it's now or thousands of years ago, we find that so many people try to grab all the stuff that they can. People think that money truly can buy happiness. And so if you stuff your house full with things... You'll be happy, just like Billy Bob Harrell thought he would be happy. And yet so often we see that those people who seem to have it all lose it all. Paul saw this happen in his day. When he was writing his first of two letters to Timothy, his his student and his co-worker in the church, there were men who thought they deserved a payout from God. 
They thought that they were so devout and so good to God that God should pay them back with money. See, they had everything. They had their faith, but they wanted more. And Paul tells Timothy right before our reading starts today that those men, that such men, lose the truth. But we don't have to lose everything. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy three things to do in order to avoid losing everything. I invite you to look back at verse 11 with me. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The first thing that Paul wants Timothy to do is to flee from the world. And it's not that he wants Timothy and he wants Christians of all time to become monks and nuns and shut themselves off from society, to go and live on top of a mountain where no one can reach them. This is all about worldly desire, fleeing from the sinful desires that the world peddles on us continuously. And Paul specifically in this section talks about one desire, and it's that love of money. The love of money can disguise itself in so many different ways. We see the get-rich-quick schemes of the world, We have the advertisement industry that pushes bigger, better, faster products on us continuously. Before we can even settle into what we have, we want something new. But we don't just see it outside, we see it inside. We feel selfishness and we feel greed in our hearts each and every day. Paul tells Timothy to flee from those things. And he might stop me and say, now, Vicar, I know that money isn't a bad thing because God gives us money, God gives us possessions as part of our lives. I have to provide for my family somehow. And yeah, yeah, money isn't a bad thing. There were many rich people in the Old Testament, many rich people in the New Testament, many rich people throughout all of history that have been believers. Many of us could consider ourselves in the top percentage of the wealth of the world. But Paul isn't talking about money itself. He's talking about the love of money, the desire for more. That desire can sit in our hearts so easily and it's like a giant pit. And the devil digs that pit and he fills it with money and he lines the top of the wall with small bills, dollars, maybe even a few coins and he works his way down with the the increment of the dollars getting more as it goes down and he throws a pile of cash on the bottom, more than we can even imagine. And so it's easy enough to walk up to the pit and pick up a single from the very top edge and you go around and you pick up all the singles. You reach a little further for the fives and further for the tens and pretty soon you're on your stomach grasping with your fingertips for the next bill you can find. And you stand up and you see all that's left in the bottom And you want it. You want it because you want more. What you have just isn't enough. You want more. You want all of that that's down there. Are you kidding me? Look at all that. And so you jump right in. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Because now you have plunged yourself into 
harmful and foolish desires and you've plunged yourself into ruin and destruction. Because when you jump in after that money, very few people get out of that pit. Billy Bob Harrell did not get out of the pit. And we see it so often. We see it in stories of jackpot winners who get overwhelmed with all the wealth and all the people and all the stress. We see it in celebrities who turn to drug addiction and who turn to uh, things they shouldn't and push their family away because of their desire for more. They can't put aside their desire. They can't put aside their love for money. And their lives are ruined. Maybe it's not a celebrity Maybe it's someone here. Maybe it's you. Maybe your desire for more causes you to push away your loved ones, causes you to turn to something that you really shouldn't, causes you to push away the people who care about you, and you desire more of that. We are always in danger of that desire. And it doesn't have to be that large scale either. For me, it happened this past Thursday when Apple released their, uh, their video and their promos for the new uh, iPhone 7. And I sat there reading the article and watching the clips on my iPhone 5, which works perfectly fine. And at the end of the article, all, all I could think was, man, I, I, I really want that. I really want more. I wonder how I could save up more for me. And very rarely, if ever, do I say, man, I wonder how I could save up more for God. I wonder how I could give more back to God. Maybe you get a raise or you find a little extra cash in your, in your jeans pocket after the laundry, after you do the laundry and So often, at least my reaction is, yay, I get to spend more on me. Instead of, awesome, I get to spend more for God. Maybe you have a nice car or a pool or a nice house or a child who has very successful, or is very successful in school and in what they do. But all of a sudden, when your friend, your relative, your neighbor, tells you about their child or their car or their vacation, you look at what you have and you say, well, this is garbage. I want what they have. I'm not content with what I have. I don't want this anymore. I want what they have. And all of those foolish and harmful desires start to conjure up in your heart. Now you're jealous you're angry, you're moody, you're not content with what you have, you complain about everything you have now, all because of your desire for more. I'm not saying that budgeting or having nice things is a bad thing, but it can start so easily and it's a slippery slope to go down. We saw it in Billy Bob Harrell's story. He started out great, 10% to the church and more to another church and more to the needy. 
But it didn't take long for the love of money to tell Billy Bob that he could have whatever he wanted. That he could push away whoever he wanted because he had money. And he wanted more. And that, that desire for more not only pushed away his family, not only pushed away his health, but he pushed away his Savior. His love for money drove him away from his faith and Paul saw this in his day too. Verse 10, he says, Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. At the very beginning of Billy, Bob's Harrell, Billy Bob Harrell's adult life, he was a pastor, a preacher. You wouldn't think he could wander from his faith, but the love of money can be that strong. You heard in the gospel reading that you cannot serve both God and money. And if your level of devotion to your money is anywhere close to your level of devotion that you have for God, watch out. This is serious stuff. Just look back at your last week and think, were you more excited about gas prices or more excited about people you could share the gospel with? What day brings you more joy? Payday or Sunday? It's a gigantic struggle. And it's scary to think that this struggle, if we lose, we, we lose our Savior. We have God and we love God, but God gives us money and why can't we have more, God? Why can't you give me what I want? But it's for that exact reason that Paul tells Timothy to fight for his faith. Look back to verse 12 with me. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul wants Timothy and he wants you to fight for your faith. So often when I think of faith, I think of very peaceful things. I think of faith, hope, and love coupled together in Scripture. But here Paul tells us to fight. And the word that he uses for fight is the same word we get our word agony from. And so Paul wants us to agonize over our faith. He wants us to struggle because that always is going to be going on in our heart. It's continuous. We weigh God's desires and what he wants us to do against what the world wants us to do, what we want to do with our money, and what the money drives us to do. And that fight is real. If we just flee from it and don't pay any attention to it, if we flee from our faith instead of standing and pursuing it and fighting for it, we lose. Whenever we give in to temptation and we withhold our time, our talents, our treasures from our God, which he rightly deserves, we lose. Anytime we fight against these things on our own, we lose. But notice that Paul doesn't tell Timothy that he's lost. Timothy hasn't wandered from the faith and neither have you. And it's not because of anything you've done in your faith fight. It's not because of any battle you've won or lost along the way. It's because of the battle that Jesus won for us. 
Before Paul wrote to Timothy, he wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. And in the second of those letters, Paul wrote these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus sacrificed a lot for us. He gave up so many things. He gave up his heavenly riches and his glory for you. He gave up a pampered lifestyle and any nice possessions that he otherwise might have had for you. Ultimately, he gave up his life for you. It started when the minute he was born, when Satan started throwing earthly temptations and worldly desires at him, but Jesus pushed them aside. And he said, no, I must be perfect because I love you. Jesus went toe-to-toe, face-to-face, head-to-head with Satan when he was tempted for 40 days in the desert, and yet he came out victorious. Each and every day he shouldered the same temptations that you and I all face. He shouldered all of them and he came out victorious. He came out perfect. Jesus took all of those temptations, all of those trials that we have and that we failed in, and he took them to the cross. And there he died. He sacrificed his life. And it looked like he lost that battle. But that was his greatest victory. He crushed Satan's head. He crushed the power of sin, death, and hell on that cross. And that victory is ours. There's still sin in the world. We still struggle and we still fail. But where do those failings, where do those struggles point us? They point us past ourselves and to the cross. That victory in Jesus is what, is what makes us truly rich. So now you can stand and fight for your faith. You can stand and say to those self-condemning thoughts that you have that tell you you're not good enough, you're too sinful, Jesus doesn't really love you because you are too sinful for him. You can stand and say to those thoughts, no, my Jesus loves me. My Jesus paid the debt that I owed and he loves me and he forgives me each and every day, no matter how many times I mess up. That wealth in Jesus is really more than we can fathom, more than we can imagine. And yet, that doesn't mean that we're home free quite yet. Many bankers or financial advisors and investors will tell you that if you want your wealth to have any kind of lasting value, you need to be careful with it. You need to guard it. And it's the same with what God has given us. If you want to keep If you want to hold on to your wealth, you have to guard it. And so that's why Paul tells Timothy to guard your assets. As Christians, we know and we constantly need to be reminded that faith only comes by God's grace. It's only given to us by God. And we hear about that grace in the gospel message. And that is the command that Paul tells Timothy about in verse 14, where he says, I charge you to keep this command, the gospel, 
without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word for keep there can also mean guard. And so we, along with Timothy, all Christians of all time, are to guard the gospel message. And it's not guarding where we put it in the middle and huddle around it so that no one else can get to it. We're not guarding it in our hearts so that no one else hears about it. That's the exact opposite idea of the gospel. But we do guard it from temptation. We guard it from the devil who wants to poke holes in that gospel, who wants to tarnish it, who wants to make, it, make that gospel message lose its true and perfect value for you. That hole that he pokes in it would tell you that you're not good enough, but we know that it's nothing that we did to deserve it. God gave it to us. It's perfect. It's holy. And so that is what we guard the gospel against. We need to keep it true, perfect, and holy. I started this morning with a little bit of a tragic story. And I want to tell you another story and parallel it with the story of Billy Bob Harrell. This story is about a man named Job. And Job was a real man, very much like Billy Bob Harrell. Job lived thousands of years ago as opposed to within the last century. He lived in the time of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament book that's written all about Job, it says that he was the greatest man of all the people of the East. I wonder if Billy Bob Harrell had such a feeling from all his money. I'm the greatest man in the world because of what I own, because of what I can buy. The devil ruined Billy Bob Harrell by taking away all his possessions and, all his, and putting all the guilt and shame on him. And the devil tried to do the same thing with Job as, he took, as, he, as God allowed the devil to take away all of Job's possessions. But that's where the similarities stop. Messenger after messenger came and told Job that his crops had burned up, his cattle and his flocks had been stolen, his sons and daughters had all died. And Job stopped and said these words, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Those words might sound familiar, at least the first couple words, because Paul writes something very similar in verse 7 of our reading. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Paul and Job both understood what our humanity gives us, and that's nothing. But Job's story does not end there. After all of those losses, as, as if those weren't enough, Job's health is taken from him. Painful sores coat his body from head to toe. And they're so painful that Job grabs a piece of broken pottery and tries to scrape his, his sores off for any sort of relief he can get. And still, Job guarded his assets. He guarded what was truly important, what truly made him rich. His wife even told him to curse God and die. 
His three closest friends told him that he had sinned too much and this was God's punishment on him. But Job guarded the gospel message. The gospel message that told him of the grace of Jesus and that gospel led him to say what he said in Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and even though my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see him. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another how my heart yearns within me. It's amazing what that gospel can do through trials, troubles, and temptations. Guard that gospel message so that you can turn to it in your troubles, in your trials, in your failings, in your battles. That gospel message tells you that you know that your Redeemer lives and you will stand with him in the end. How our hearts yearn within us. I can imagine that winning the lottery might produce some heart yearning. I think of what Billy Bob Harrell or anyone who wins a a large jackpot thinks and they think, yay, my troubles are all over. That's awesome. Great. But the problem with Billy Bob Harrell and so many is that they stop fighting the good fight. And that's when the real struggle begins. Struggles with guilt, with shame, loneliness, with discontent. And they all come to a head with no way out. When we find out what we have in Christ, we are joyful. Our hearts yearn within us. Forgiveness for things that we do when we're not supposed to do them or things we don't do when we're supposed to do them. God gives us a clean slate in Jesus. God promises to provide for us each and every day that we're here on earth. Even more than that, God promises to give us heaven. When we close our eyes for the last time and we're ushered into the gates of paradise, you're not going to think of any lottery ticket. That's the ultimate lottery. We win there because of Jesus' victory. All our sin, all our shame, all our guilt, all our troubles and fights are gone. Do you believe that that's yours? If you do, you have every reason to be happy. You have every reason to rejoice and even further, you have every reason to share love and share God's grace and share every blessing that comes your way with other people. You don't have to be a lottery winner to change people's lives. All you have to do is be saved by Jesus. When you are saved, you're able to look past what you want and see what other people need. Jesus saw what we needed. We needed him. So he became poor that we might be rich. Let's become a little poorer so that other people might be rich in the name of Jesus. Jesus gives our life true wealth and true meaning. Amen.